Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, and this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today, I'm here with Anthony Russo. Hello. <laughs> So you were born in St. Louis originally, or? Yeah, so I was born and raised St. Louis, Missouri, pretty much my whole life yeah. until two years ago. Are your parents from there initially? Yeah, my parents met, yeah, it's crazy. No one really moved around for a few generations. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've all been there from within like 10 miles from each other. Uh, my whole family lives there actually, except my mom's uncle. Mm -hmm. lives in Denver, or not my mom's uncle, I'm sorry, my uncle, my mom's brother, yeah. lives in Denver. And that's like our only family that's not in St. Louis. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so it's, I've been pretty fortunate in that sense. St. Louis was a, it was a really good place to grow up. It was mm -hmm. really quiet, quaint, and it's up. Uh, streets, yeah. streets is a whole lot, a lot yeah. going on across the street. But, uh, but yeah, so I enjoyed my childhood. I played a lot of sports. Oh, what kind of sports? I played soccer. Well, you know like when you're younger, time is like all you have. Like you've endless time. You've yeah. Responsibilities. You don't even know what to do with their time. You're yeah, too much. Exactly. That's why like your parents either put you in like classes, school or sports. Like one of those three things because you know, I'm one of those actual believers in like you shouldn't have too much time on your hands, you know? I feel like that's how people get into trouble when they're yeah, younger. Yeah, exactly. So my parents were always putting me in camps and this and that. So by the time I was in like sixth grade, I was playing a sport during every season, whether it was like baseball in the fall, basketball in the winter, and I was playing roller hockey too. Oh, so wow. I would be playing both of those. And then in the spring- Like competitively with other yeah, schools? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not, not actually, it'd be like select. So, yeah. which basically is just a, a term for like private, like private leagues where you oh, have to okay, like, aud yeah. not auditions. So used to like the entertainment. Yeah, what is that uh, word? <laughs> it's a tryout. You have to try, try out for the team. Um, yeah. So by then, you know, it was like spring was was baseball again, and then soccer all the way through the summer, and then swimming. I would start in the summer. Oh, okay. So was, as well, so it'd be like it'd be sometimes like three sports overlapping, That's crazy. and it'd be like finishing a baseball game, and like your, my parents like speeding me to my soccer game, and then there and that. So sports pretty much consumed my life. In fact, I thought that that was what I, what I was probably going to oh. do with my life. Wow. At least that's the dream for every young individual who plays a lot of sports. Mm -hmm. Which mean, spo sport would you soccer. like? Oh. Soccer was like, was like the sport. That's the one that I ended up continuing through high school with. Everything else like yeah. kind of dropped. Yeah. Uh, just because I might, you know, I feel like there's stages of adolescence where, you know, you do all these things that your parents tell you to and that at one point or another, you start getting friends and you're like, whoa, I like hanging out with my friends. I want to take this time that I was doing this thing yeah. and I want to put it to hanging out with friends. And that way you can like develop your social circle and all that type of stuff. So I, like I said, I started dropping off sports. Like baseball is one that I quit. Um, stopped swimming. Cause that was, that was, that was a very like parental, yeah. like, push to do that because it's 7 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. Yeah. Swim, swim practices in the morning. I used to compete in so I know what you're talking about. You know, you're, you're, it's like summer, <laughs> summer, and everyone's like going and doing their thing, and then I'm like, I can't because I have to get up 
I'm, I'm like like 10 years old and I have to get up and go swim so but I'm I like like the lessons that it taught me mm -hmm. it, I always felt good after I went to practice but on the way there it was like it's the same way I feel yeah, now when I no. work out you get up you yeah. force yourself to get up and you're like I gotta go do this you take care of it on the way back it's like euphoria so yeah, that feeling exactly. has never changed but um what uh what careers are your parents in um so my mom for the majority of my life was an event planner for oh, okay. a company called Emerson Electric and basically what she would do is plan all the company trips and events and she also did it freelance too so companies would reach out to my mom and say hey I want you know my board of directors to go to the Super Bowl mm -hmm. and she would be the person who organizes the trip and she'd fly there she used to go to every single Super Bowl and like every single Masters oh playoff games like she was always there even though I, I never got to experience that, I, I was too young, mm. so she never would take me. She always take like my older brother or my older sister or just like a friend. Because honestly, I didn't really appreciate football as much as I do now. Anyway, I was kind of like I liked soccer, soccer. and I never understood the idea of running into each other. <laughs> I never really got it. Um, but yeah, so she was an event planner, and then when the market crashed in like 2007. I remember she lost like half of her job. Basically, oh she didn't gosh. get like laid off, but yeah. it was basically like. We all your responsibilities budget. will be like cut in half, therefore yeah. your pay will be cut in half, therefore your time will be cut in half, all of that. So she ended up working at Bread Company. I'm sorry. Uh, Panera is what oh, it's called okay, now. Yeah, in yeah. St. Louis, it's called St. Louis Bread Company oh, really? still in some no places. Idea. I'm pretty sure Panera bought St. Louis Bread oh. Company. But in, in St. Louis, they've kept the name. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people from like Missouri will say that, and other people will be like, it's Panera. <laughs> like, Alright, sorry. Uh, but yeah, and then once the market kind of picked back up, she started getting into real estate, and now that's kind of what she does the most. Is, oh. Is buying, selling houses. And, yeah, and then my dad actually is a hair designer. He's Whoa. been a hair designer my whole life. Designer? Near, like, designer. I, I don't want to say he's a barber, because I feel like a barber, like a especially in Los Angeles, is such a distinct... Oh, yeah. Such a distinct difference between, like, a hairstylist. Yeah. yeah stylist. Hairstylist and, uh, and a barber. But yeah. he owned his own hair salon called mm. Tony Russo's Hair Designs. That's why I say hair designer, I think. It was <laughs> design in the name, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was really fortunate with that. My dad has always had really good style and really good taste, and I think it's rubbed off on me. And mm -hmm. for, you know, the first, gosh, I mean, pretty much my whole life. Until I moved out here, I never had a haircut from anyone else. <laughs> so... Okay. That was that yeah. was like a leap of faith <laughs> because you you know it's like you get used to who's cutting your hair, yeah. but one thing that's like the difference between a barber that's why I say like there's a distinct difference between a barber and a hairstylist is because a barber is just like a different type of cut. They do like the fades and the tapers, oh, yeah. and they can do the designs and they get right up on your neck and you wear uh, I forgot what it's called whatever this thing is yeah. that they they put around you yeah. and. You know, it's just like the barber, the barber shop scene. I love that energy. Mm -hmm. And my dad is, is is tailored more towards like women's hair. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, although he'll do men's hair, like he cut my hair. Yeah. But, you know, so my dad's amazing at what he does. But again, it's like a different skill being mm -hmm. like a barber. So shout out to hairstylists and barbers. <laughs> You're unique, but also the same. <laughs> what kind of music were they playing in the house when you were growing up? So I never got much influence um, from my mom's side. My parents were divorced, by the way, mm -hmm. and it was a it was a it was a great divorce. They ended up moving like How five minutes away. From, I was like four or five. Oh, so it didn't really did it affect no, you? No, I wasn't. At, I wasn't at that 
that phase yeah. or that time in my life where that made a huge impact on me, mm -hmm. I just grew up like knowing that my parents were separated. But yeah. they did it in a really respectful way, for the most part, at least what we saw. I'm sure there was mm -hmm. behind the scenes stuff that got crazy, but they lived like five minutes from each other walking. So once they moved apart, so I was really convenient for me and yeah. my sister because if I like left something at my mom's, I wouldn't be stuck without it for like a week. I could just walk over and get yeah, it. Yeah, that's and so good. I'm really thankful for them doing that. But anyway, mm -hmm. so I say my mom, when I would be with her, she was never really an avid like music seeker. She kind of just listened to whatever was on the radio. So, you know, I would just be listening to pop stuff, whatever mm -hmm. was going on, which isn't bad. You know, that's, that's great to have inside your brain if that's what you want to do. But um, I think where I got most of my musical influence and like inspiration was from my dad and he was always playing like John Mayer in the car. That that dude, my dad is someone who will put a CD in and he won't take it out for six months. It'll be the same CD <laughs> over and over. Not because he's lazy, but it's just, he can sit with something for a really, really long time where most people these days get impatient. But he'll, like Continuum was, I remember Room Full of Squares. I was, I was kind of young for that. But Continuum and, um, Oh, what is it? What is it called? Not Heartbreak Warfare. That's the song off it. Battle Studies, mm -hmm. and all that. That was always circulating in the car. There was also a lot of like the Eagles, um, Santana. He had his CD. Uh, he's a he's the guy who played guitar, or it was like the melody from um, Wild Wild Thoughts. Oh, with okay. Rihanna, you know, that's that's a Santana like okay. melody. Um, but yeah, so a lot of a lot of like guitarists. He loved, he played he played the acoustic guitar when I was growing up. Not not so much as to where I could have derived any sort of knowledge from it. Like of, he was a very casual couple friends are over maybe once in a blue moon bring out the guitar and play some, you know, John Mayer songs or mm -hmm. this or that. Just simple stuff, but um, we never we never bonded musically like that mm. because I really didn't even get into music until like four years ago. Like I, didn't, I didn't touch it. I didn't do. Who Who are the first people that you first found? You remember? Like discovered myself? Yeah. Um, I had an older sister, so it's pretty much whatever she was listening to. It was like I wanted to listen to it because mm. I wanted to be cool. You know, I wanted to listen to what the, all the cool kids were listening to. So I never. I wasn't honestly very individualistic when it came to my music choice. I kind of just like what people played around me is what I decided to listen to. I even listened to country at one point and oh. I don't like country music, <laughs> which is crazy. I think I just was like conforming a little bit, you know? Yeah. And, um, How did your, um, I guess, attention change from sports to music though? Yeah, so once I got done with high school, I was like, okay, soccer, I had a few offers to go to some schools, oh, wow. but I wasn't ready to commit that lifestyle because a little bit of me wanted to, or a little bit of me just like wasn't sure what I wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. And playing a college sport is like, you're pretty much 70% playing a college sport and 30% going to school. Yeah. Because it, it just takes up so much of your life, which is like why people do it sometimes because they know that they love that thing. But I had gotten to a place of indifference at that time. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And 
that's why I, uh, I tried college for a little bit and then I just dropped out because it wasn't for me. I was, I was studying like business, business marketing, but I was, you know, business marketing, I was still taking like science classes, mm -hmm. you know, your general education classes that they say you need to have, which doesn't really make sense. What school but is this? This is University of Missouri. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just, a couple hours away from my, my hometown. I wasn't a very adventurous person at that time. <laughs> I, was, I was very like sheltered. I never wanted to go on like family vacations. I always wanted to stay home. I'm not really sure what what it was if I was like afraid of the world or, or mm. what I mean because it, it is kind of a crazy place if you think about it but yeah for some reason I never I never really wanted to branch out and then I hit like a I hit a wall when I was there and that's what made me drop out and I just felt like I had like no direction in my life and I had a really close friend at the time named Ryan Kincaid who's out here with me too he, he moved out here with me in 2017 and he was like my day-to-day -day manager he was like my right-hand man he was the guy that whenever I had an idea in my head he's like whatever we got to do to make sure it happens like I'll be your guy mm -hmm. um, so he dropped out of school with me too and I had always been like the rapper kid you know like, oh really people had no I had not like I said I didn't have any musical ability yeah but I listened to a lot of hip-hop in my like high school time period mm -hmm. you know like Mac Miller was one of the big inspirations for like any young kid who's like trying to do trying to do that thing right because mm -hmm. it was it was predominantly owned by like by African Americans at the yeah. time there wasn't a lot of like white rappers except like Eminem like the god yeah. you know what I mean but not everyone's gonna be Eminem but Mac Miller kind of broke open that door and I would always be like, damn. So I would always pick his beats out, and I rap in the car with my homies, and we'd be like smoking blunts, <laughs> doing shit that we shouldn't be doing, um, just like rolling around the town. And I was just that guy. I, I really made it like. I really practiced it too. It wasn't. It was something for me. Other people probably viewed it as something that was just for fun that mm -hmm. I did, but to me, it was like a craft that I was really trying to develop, and it started in like probably eighth grade when I got a I got a Drake beat I found a Drake beat on YouTube it's like right around the time where you can I figure out how to download illegally yeah so there was a, a beat that had a hook in it it was that old Drake song you probably don't even know it's like I'm still fly I'm sky high and I dare anybody to try and cut my wings I'm still <laughs> shutting cities down every time I come around yeah I'm still doing my thing I'm still fly so I think the song's called I'm still fly but then like the you know the open verse would happen and I would come home before my dad got home from work I come home after school and I'd be on like the Mac speakers like recording into yeah. the speakers and I just be I just be freestyling oh over God. and over and over like hundred takes a hundred full songs of me just doing it. and every time I'd say something it's like discovering something in yourself yeah. you say like a line that makes sense and it's yeah. not just you saying dumb sh dumb shit that a sixth mm -hmm. grader would say you say something that makes sense and I'm like holy shit all right okay okay like that's dope and then you know you're at school and you're like writing some lyrics down or something sparks an idea and then you're like i'm gonna incorporate this at some point it's all it's almost like it becomes stored and you can bring it forth when you're freestyling once you get it so locked in your memory that it's like you say a certain rhyme that will that fits into this rhyme scheme and you're mm -hmm. like oh i know this metaphor that i wrote that i wrote down yeah. that i can plug in now and you're like just building this chain Right, and mm -hmm. you gotta stay like two steps ahead of the chain. That was always exciting to me. It's like I gotta be saying something, but be thinking about 
what I'm gonna say next. Mm -hmm. And someone who did that, like probably the best to ever do it is probably Eminem. Like he's one yeah. of those one of those great guys. Um, but anyway, so that's like who I was in high school. Aside from like playing soccer, when we'd be at parties, whatever, I'd be in the corner. Probably 30 minutes after the party started, I'm already in the corner with my homies, and there's like a circle, and someone's beatboxing or someone's putting on a beat, stopping the whole party to put on a freestyle and putting me on blast, and I have to just like go. But I loved it, and. Um, and you're putting your music on SoundCloud? No, I actually didn't have any music out. This is just like, this was literally just me freestyling with my yeah. friends, smoking weed and going to parties and that, and that was it. But, so like I said, I, I dropped out of school and I was at the gy local gym in my, my city and one of my, uh, one of my homies was there and his younger brother named Anthony D'Elia, who lived literally six houses down from me in my neighborhood, he had like done like some covers, he had like a little piano, a little microphone, and you know, just like your most basic setup you could have mm -hmm. for someone who's like doing music. He's like, yo, you should like, we should come over, like let's smoke a blunt and like, let's go, let's go. My brother has like some beats and you can like rap over them, like let's make a song, right? He basically pushed me into it and I was like, nah, like those days are kind of over. I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do really, but that didn't seem appealing at the time. But for some reason I went and we made, I don't even know what song we made, but I think it was called like Crickets or something. Mm -hmm. And you can listen to the mix then. I, I have like some of the songs private on SoundCloud. And I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. like what is this? But once like that last lyric was written down and the last part was recorded and I like sat and I listened, I never heard myself being like recorded before. I was like, whoa, this is something that I yeah. could do. Like this is something that I could continue to do for a long time and like not be, ever get bored of it so I started being a pest I started hitting him every day knocking on his door like yo let mm -hmm. me come up like let's make a song like let's make a song let's make a song the point where I think he was like annoyed you know he was like he was still in high school trying to like do his high school things he was playing <laughs> sports too he actually uh. ended up going to NYU for for baseball mm. he's a great pitcher um, but yes yeah, so I was I was hounding him trying to trying to record some songs and we ended up we we would record songs and I put them out on SoundCloud and you know I started not getting like buzz on a you know like a level beyond like family and friends mm -hmm. but I did kind of study the game a little bit and started noticing like trends and at that time Russ was oh, yeah. starting to get really big and you know you could he put everything online right he put he, put his whole kind of story online so you could you could take it take it snapshots of it and go all right what was he doing here and what do I need to do to not necessarily copy this but to replicate it and make it my own and how can this help my journey so how did your you meet your management um so my management let's see that's a good question okay so you know the guy I was telling you about Ryan Kincaid yeah who also dropped out of school my right hand guy we were in my basement at my dad's, and this is probably like a year and a half into me making music. I had probably put out 30, 40 songs on SoundCloud mm -hmm. at the time. And he he had been doing what, the only thing he could be doing as a manager, yeah. managing someone who like isn't really doing anything successful yet in music. He was reaching out to people to try to get me in front of people and get my music in front of like bigger people other than mm -hmm. the people that were in St. Louis because St. Louis isn't like a nurturing place necessarily for like artists. Yeah. So he had been reaching out to a guy named Jamil Davis, who's the um, one half of G's management, Jeezy. Mm -hmm. And 
he had been DMing him for like a year, you know, just like casually, like, hey man, hope your weekend was good. Just reminding you, if you ever need anything, like I'm your guy, let me know. Yeah. Like I could, in, I could intern, I could apprentice you, assist you in whatever way. And after literally like a year of that, without me even knowing that that was happening, he didn't like tell me that he was doing these things. He randomly like, we're laying down, I think we had just smoked too, and just like, just chilling, talking about life. And he's like, yo, Jamil Davis just responded to me. Like, G-Eazy's manager yeah. just responded to me. And I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> like, what? Because G had been a huge yeah. inspiration to us. Um, we, I always, for like visualization techniques, because that was something I was super into, I would watch his From the Bay to the Universe tour stuff. And I would get these like mental images that were really like solidified. And I could sit there and feel what it felt like to be on tour. Because that's something that I wanted to do, right? So, you know, you visualize and try to manifest it. But anyway, so like that was like a universe connection thing that happened to be like that guy. And then he had us fly out basically um, to Los Angeles and I made it kind of a business trip. I came out here and recorded with some friends. Oh, wow. And on like the third or fourth day, we went to his place and I played him some of the music and for like, sometimes I still question how it happened, but he just, there was like one song where at the end of the song, there was like an ad lib. And after like he heard that, out of all the songs I was playing, like he wasn't getting much response. And I played mm -hmm. that song and there's this little ad lib that, that's played at the very end and he just like, his ears perk up and he's like, he, I guess he saw like then, like the potential maybe. Yeah. And uh, just, it's just a funny way. He's, a, he's an interesting guy, I love him. Um, but yeah, then he took Ryan out in the back and he came back and was like, I wanna, I wanna manage you. So go home, you know, tell your family that you're, that you're leaving <laughs> and, and that's it yeah and uh, and yeah two weeks later I moved out to California I lived actually like right down the street over off of Melrose yeah. for the first like year um, but yeah so it's, mm -hmm. it's still and, I, and then I started working with uh, Matt Bowerschmidt who's also Jamil's other half um, part of G's management he's kind of the, the like the brains of the whole of the whole machine mm -hmm. he's the guy that kind of like does the he pretty much like branded G to be oh, what, like wow. what G is and Jamil has been kind of like the force like the leverage he also is just a very good people person so he he opens doors in that way and he also has like a really good musical sense and can, can know when something's gonna go or when it's not can can A and R qualities you know mm -hmm. and then uh, how long after did you tour with GEC yeah so I guess it was almost a year exactly of being out in Los Angeles. I'd, I'd only put out three songs since I had been there. That's so crazy. And I had, a, I had a lot of songs like stored away because for the first like six months of me being out here, I didn't know what I was doing. Felt super overwhelmed, felt super insecure. Cause you gotta understand I came from St. Louis out of my mom's basement mm -hmm. where I was working, where there's no one to look around to and compare yourself to. But here, it's just like, that's Everywhere. all that happens, yeah. you know? I got, right away, one of the first, I guess, like, missions for Jamil was to just like, get me to meet as many people as possible. So I would be going to all these parties, which I'm not that type of person now. Like, and he knows, like, he sometimes he doesn't invite me to certain things, because he knows I just wouldn't want to go. Mm -hmm. You know, like, go, go to just be in places where there's yeah. like, famous people and like, influential people. It just never made sense to me, and I never felt comfortable, but I did it, because, you know, at that time, I was like this little kid who was like, yeah, whatever you want to do, like, do I'll do it. Do you think it helped you looking back? Or not really? <sighs> it's 
to be honest, I'm sure I'm sure it did. I'm not gonna say it didn't. Yeah. There's a Sometimes lot of Sometimes I'm like, should I be doing some yeah. more? Should I be more outgoing? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I uh I can't remember like a specific time or like an opportunity led to another opportunity. Like the people that I work with most closely today are all people that I met in like different settings. Oh wow. And most of them actually like one of them is from Kansas City, the other my closest producer friend, he's from St. Louis as well. Ryan and JP, JP does my day-to-day -day stuff now. He's also from St. Louis. Like my circle is still really small. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, so I was doing that a lot and just like not feeling good about myself. I feel like I was doing everything other than making music. And then like, I don't know, around like the eighth, sixth month period of being out here, I wrote this song called Never Been, which is out now. And that's crazy, I wrote that in like all July of 2017 yeah. and it just came out like a few months ago mm -hmm. um, but I remember kind of being in this place of just and I haven't written anything like well I haven't gotten a good response from like my own management and I kind of felt like I was maybe falling behind and then I wrote that song and it got like sent in the email that night like the demo got sent around to all like the management everyone on the email chain didn't really hear anything wasn't expecting to hear anything mm -hmm. and then I got a call in the morning from Jamil and just like you did it, like you wrote a hit, yeah. like, you did it. Although obviously like, it hasn't like taken off or anything because I'm still small and in the pop, like the mainstream pop world is so saturated that it takes a little bit longer to like to break through, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm confident that it will. But anyway, at the time, like it's like, this is it. Like, and I guess all of his, what he once saw in me, like came back yeah. and then things started to move along and I started getting more confidence. I started just, I found this, I also found this producer named Digi, Jamil Chamas, who has now gone on to do like amazing things. He just did like half of Khalid's project. Oh, wow. He did Love Lies with Normani and um, and Khalid. And uh, so he's gone on been been wildly successful and we still occasionally work. But me and him made this string of songs that still haven't came out yet, but will, that are just so special. And that's kind of what I toured with. I toured with unreleased songs. Uh, yeah, and like, to your question that was early 2018 so about exactly a year ago mm -hmm. how about your song together um uh, rewind yeah so that song was kind of like something that just needed to happen so me and g had had a few sessions before but it had been a goal for both of us to get a song out and at the time when I actually recorded that record, he still hadn't even put out Beautiful and Damn. So this was like still oh, 2017. Wow. <laughs> and, and what, the song came out in 2000, in, the, in summer of 2018. And basically, um, the hook was written by this person named Drew Love, who is part of They. He's written a lot of like dope records. And um, we kind of like collaborated on the hook. And like the pretty much all like the vocals and, and whatnot. And then G already had his verses there when I got the song. Um, but I cut it and smashed it. And then all of a sudden, like, we, it, was it was gonna be on his album, it was gonna be a bonus record. Yeah. I was so excited. And then the producer, for some reason, I guess just didn't like the idea of it being a bonus record. So we ended up like giving the beat to someone else. And there was kind of like a price war going on. Oh my gosh. And then, for a while, I was like, all right, the song's lost. My management told me, like, the song's lost. It's not ours anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, just let it go. And so I did. And then it came back for, like, a month. And I was yeah. like, it's coming out again. And, then it, <laughs> and then, it, then, it, then it was like, no, never mind. And so I had this, like, roller coaster of, mm -hmm. like, emotions. And then 
finally, like randomly, after tour ended last year, my Jamil was like, yo, we got it back. Like, we got the song back, and we're gonna shoot a video for it, and yeah, get ready. I'm like, oh shit. You know, and I honestly, at that point, didn't think it was gonna actually happen. Because we're still used but, to uh, it. But sure enough, it came out, and yeah, it's, it's my most, it's still like the most popular song on my Spotify. I think it's just because of the weight that mm -hmm. G-Eazy carries. I don't know if like my fans are necessarily listening to that as much as they listen to my other stuff because it's a little bit different than a lot of the music yeah. that I make, but. Um, and then skipping ahead, how did you get more into writing in the K-pop realm? Yeah, so K-pop came as an opportunity from Jamil, from Digi. Oh, okay. He had been going out there for a few years at the time and after we worked, he told the guy who runs the camp about me, said here are some of my songs that I've made with him. And at the time, I think he was in, he was like in Korea in the beginning of January 2018 and, and had messaged me like, yo, dude, send some demos, like send some demos that you have. The guy that runs the camp is like looking for some and I ended up sending one that I had wrote, written with a friend and he like loved it. And uh, it's gonna go for NCT, it's gonna end up being an NCT song. And then that was kind of like my end to go to the camp in May of 2018 and that's when I first went and uh, yeah, I just, had a lot of fun and I crushed it and pretty much like every record that that I did got placed and me and the thank you yeah it was it was a really fun it was a fun experience because it's so different from anything that I would write here that it's like an, it's a creative exercise and you get to have so much fun and freedom because the more crazy that you make something, it's like they, they that's like what they want. They want it to you be just I mean? so they out there. They want it to be insane. No rules. And it's, and it's super fun. So I got to do that and I go back, like I said, on May 6th, I head back out there. Mm -hmm. And um, hoping to get like my artist thing going out there too. He's the same guy as kind of like being my like representative out yeah. there. I feel and, like you uh, do so well in Asia. I, I think so and I'd hope so. And I wish that more like American and just Western artists would yeah. try to go out there because it's it's a whole nother continent. It's like a whole nother universe. Yeah. It's like triple the people. So I mean if you want to really like you gotta just like spread your vision I guess to like wanna make that. Although it's a it's a difficult journey because being to get started somewhere you have to go there a lot and it's far. So it's a lot of traveling if, if you want to get established over there. But it's worth it, I think, in the long run. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a song coming out in May. I have a song coming out in May called More Than You Know with the producer Pink Slip and the writer Anthony Pavel, who's also one, two people that go to Korea with me. We're all going to the same camp in May as well. That's so um, cool. And then also this guy named Inverness did some extra production and the whole thing's being mixed by my good friend, Dennis. What's who, the inspiration? Uh, um, the inspiration behind the song is, it's basically, it's a, it's a really simple story actually. It's like a classic story of, for whatever reason, the universe hasn't lined up for you and this girl to be together. And the more times the chance comes and slips away. Is it the same girl in the, your other songs? No, no, no. <laughs> a it, lot it, of girls. Um, the more times that you, it slips away, the more you grow this feeling for this person. Mm -hmm. And it's like the way that I feel about you now is more than you know like and then like the hook comes in and it's like yeah but it's basically like this like little narrative about the missed opportunities and why you haven't been together but like you hold all of this love for this person and yeah just like but it's a really fun song and I'm really I'm thankful that they let me be a part of it um so yeah it's gonna mm -hmm. be it's gonna be great
What would you say have been your biggest challenges so far in your life? Hmm. Last year, actually 2017, I guess, like the end of 2017, I kind of had like a breakdown as far as who I thought I was and I was letting too much of what other people thought I was into the idea of who I thought I was mm -hmm. and it like really shook me. I, as crazy as the story is and, and it seems like juvenile, I was at, I was starting to like get anxiety towards like the fall and I, I haven't had anxiety since I was like 10 years old or like 15 years, somewhere in that range. But I started getting anxiety really, really bad. And so I stopped smoking weed because like that, that just like turned it up like 10 levels when that would happen. Um, and I also stopped for my voice. My vocal teacher told me that I should stop. So you should like a, a singer, if they really want to be a singer, like you should avoid smoking because it, you know, it doesn't do anything good for the voice. So mm -hmm. I was willing to put that to rest for the betterment of my vocal performance. But I had rented out this like Airbnb for like a week to finish some records with like Digi and Dennis and um, so we got a house up in Sherman Oaks to finish this little project and I got some edibles because I'm like well I'm not smoking it I can just eat an edible and I hate this I hate way too much I ate way too much of this edible and I swear I had the craziest panic attack I've ever oh had in gosh. my life and it lasted for like five hours of like intense like shaking, I couldn't, I couldn't hold on. They must on. have been freaking out. Oh yeah, I couldn't hold on to like one thought. Like it got, it got to the point where my, my homie Dennis was like, I was sitting on the couch outside and I was like in a ball, like curled in a ball and he was like holding on to me, like just like telling me to breathe. And I, I just started thinking about so much shit. And it's like once I caught this one thought, I forgot what it was, but it was, you know, it was, it was like about self-image and, and kind of like a, it was a more, um, Gosh, the word the words eluding me, but uh, it was an existential thought, mm, yeah. right? Something like that, and I never really like thought about things like that because I had grown up Christian and this and that. But as I got out here, I started to distance myself and be more like about individuality. But not being tethered to something like that, you just kind of feel like you're spinning and just a, on a ball that's spinning inside of a universe that's spinning, and it's like I just I just all of that weight, that existential weight, just smashed down on me at once. And I started having panic attacks every day for oh like for like three months. Like every day, I was calling my parents every day. I couldn't make any music. I, w I was like, what is going on with me? I need to go see like a therapist. I need to go see something. It just shook my life up and completely removed me like socially from everything. I started, I like blacked out all of the windows in my room and I, I thought maybe I wasn't getting enough sleep. So I would just like sleep all day. And I'd wake up, I started like doing fasting, thinking I was like, whatever I can do to get rid of this feeling, yeah. I wanna get rid of this. And I just kept running from it and running from it and running from it. And then um, I ended up meeting my girlfriend at the end of that year. Uh, I actually met her in Thailand. And she had told me about a similar experience that she had gone through. And she's from Portugal originally. So she, so she said, hey, I, I, I had a very similar thing happen to me a few years back. I went to this holistic, like homeopathic doctor in Portugal, and I trust medicine over in Europe way more than I trust it here. It's not as commercialized. Mm. They only have like three options of the drug that we have a thousand of, so it's like very, it's like, it works, right? Yeah. So I went and saw her, and she like analyzed me, like on a functional level, right? She like felt my organs, and she mm. 
she looked into my eyes and like asked me questions about my past and things that I things that how I react to certain she just, just like studied me on a different level than like she didn't like hit my knee or yeah. stick something in my ear she like really analyzed me and then put me on these like vitamins like a routine of yeah. vitamins that were some of them were like for like neurological development some of them were from like cortisone levels because my stress levels were like through the roof I was like always like yeah. just like ready to kind of just break down and after like four or five months of doing that I, I started to feel better and I started to not have this cloud like over my head and I started to wake up and instead of seeing like the dots in my eyes I started just like actually to see the sky and uh, it was one of the scariest one of the scariest parts of my life I was I was really like experience like experiencing like detachment mm -hmm. from like just who I was I didn't know what I was doing and like I said, I couldn't make any music. I was constantly philosophizing and reading all of these things about philosophy and just trying to figure out like why I'm here. And in the meantime, not being here yeah. because of it. So I don't know if anyone's like ever experienced something similar to that. I'm sure maybe some people have on different levels, but to me, it really, 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 really phased me. Um, but yeah, that was probably the biggest thing I've had to go through. But through that, you know, I found growth and I thought music was the problem too at one point. Oh, I, I like I pinned that as like I'm in this like materialistic, oh, yeah. like fake world where it's all based around like self glory and I need to like figure my life out. So like I, I kinda shamed music and they used it as an escape goat and it took me like probably six months of not doing anything related to music to slowly make my way back to it and realize that the shell I created was built by my own hands. And that it's really, you know, there's like a separate me. There's like the me that's here and there's the me that can like watch me, right? And that mm -hmm. that, that thing is always peaceful and still and, and it's all good. So I just like can't let myself get attached to like validation or get attached to who people think I am or who, who I think I, who I think they think I am. Mm -hmm. It's just like I had to like get a little bit of freedom. And obviously like I made some lifestyle changes too, which helps tremendously if you ever deal with like anxiety or anything like that. Um, and I can say now that like I'm pretty much clear and I'm back on track I'm making music that. every single day and I'm happy to be where I am. I'm getting goosebumps by you telling me this <sighs> Yeah, but yeah, it's funny because like I said it was like part of the worst time of my life When some some would say that it was should have been the best part of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Like all the opportunities everything that I have been like grinding for You know, I worked at a car wash for two years before I came out here just like making trying to make money to pay for studio time and that was always that was like I went I went through it to get here and all the opportunity was sitting right in front of me and I was just conflicted and like boxed in by this weight whatever it whatever was going on with me and um, and that made it even worse right because then I would like get down on myself for being down because I should be feeling good right yeah and uh, that really that really got me too so but I'm out of that cloud like I said I'm out of that cloud it's a part of me that it's, it happened and I learned from it and I grew from it and that's really all you can take from when you have experiences like that is you just gotta like try and see how it, it changed you and yeah. Mm -hmm. What does love mean to you? It's a great question. It's a, it's a really, wow, it's a really good question. Um, love to me means I guess, I guess a better way that I can explain what I think love is, is 
not necessarily about what it means to me, but what it is to me. And what mm -hmm. it is to me is this just like kind of stillness, like this this warm, still presence that's always there. It's something that doesn't it's always there when we choose as humans sometimes to not look at it. But it's always there. And I think if you strip if you strip down us to our core, that's like what we're made out of, yeah. right? But again, like it can get lost in the layers of of conformity, <laughs> doubt. Like I said, what you what people think you are, what you think you are, conditioning, all those things over time, they just like build up layers around that. But I think I think everyone's felt it at some point in their life. And yeah, I, I don't. I don't see necessarily. I see there's like two two types. Like there's obviously the romantic love, where like mm -hmm. you feel this this energy for somebody, and you would do anything for them. Could be family. Could be a could be a friend. Could be a loved one. Like a, a romantic partner. But then there's like the love that's like the foundation of that love, right? And that's like one of the few times we get to see it expressed in one of its many ways. But it also comes in ways of just like peace, you know. I'm mm -hmm. at peace with myself. That means yeah. I must, I must be okay with where I am. I must like, I must love the situation I'm in. And yeah, so I guess that's that's uh, yeah. That's where I think love is. Cause I I think the less words I can use to describe it, the more on point I am. Because I feel we as humans depreciate the value of real things by trying to come up with our own ways to explain, yeah. you know? Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? Mm. Wow, I have that's something I haven't thought about a lot. That's a really, really great question. Wow, something just like started going to <laughs> me. That's a really, it's a really important question. Um, you know, what do you remember for? I guess I would like to be remembered for being a good friend, a good father, and a good son, or a good, just a good person. Because mm -hmm. I would like to say, like, I want to be remembered for like my number one hits, or like the music that I made. Which I, I hope, like, I'm, you know, I just made this song the, yesterday or the day before, and I put a voicemail from my grandmother in it. And at the time, I didn't think much about it, but then I thought about it again. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, something like that will be into the world forever. And, and you know, my grandma's like 90 now, so you never know how long she has. But that song, with her voice in it, will always be there. And that's something that's really special. So I've kind of, as of anyone who's ever put out anything to the world, like, that's mm -hmm. what artists do. Like, you're an artist, I'm an artist. We create something out of nothing, right? And that, that now thing has been pulled out from the abyss of the unknown and is brought into the world into into actualization and now we can see it and analyze it and be with it and that that's enough that's enough of a um a, a immortality project for me because i understand that most of the things that i do in my life will be forgotten about within couple hundred years maybe maybe if I'm lucky they even last that long right mm -hmm. even the most famous people that we think about you know it's like those are 
such a small percentage yeah. of people, right? And so I think people shouldn't really cling on to the idea of of like what should I be remembered by or like or or trying to do things just so they like leave this kind of flimsy legacy because mm -hmm. the t time will always eventually take that away. So it's best not need to worry about it and just right right now is what's yeah. important, you know what I mean? Right now is what's important, you know? And if I can if I can by the time I'm about to die can can look at all of my nows and be like I was there. Yeah. I think I'll be good. You know what I mean? I was yeah. there in those moments. That's 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 good for me. If mm -hmm. I can yeah, that's good for me. Yeah. So. I love it. This is so awesome. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I I love to walk. I love being outside. So this is like <laughs> Honestly, one of the best interviews you Honestly, could possibly do. Thank um, you. I hope I can come back, come back sometime. Yeah. yeah. It'd be great. Bye, guys. See ya.